Okay, let's get our Bible, and uh, we will be turning to the book of Proverbs. We are still on the subject of money wisdom, part number four, which is a major theme. See, I told you, I told you. She said, Ari can have it. Well, we're saving it for Sister Rita. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, we are, we're going to be, uh, I remember what I was going to say, uh, the sister Karen wrote and, uh, she just wrote a, a few minutes ago and said she's not feeling well, so she's not, she's not going to be here. So pray for her. Um, okay. So we're on part four of money wisdom and, uh, we are going to look at, uh, these various things that touch on money, be it debt, be it, uh, be it what we're going to talk about today, um, it has some. It has some way, in some way that it it affects money. It affects those parts of our lives, and we know that you know the the issues of our money, our substance, our provision, however we want to describe it, is something that occupies a lot of our time. You think just our job, you know, occupies a lot of our time, and it's a major part of our life. And uh, nothing wrong with that. That's just that's you know you you work to live. That's why you do it. So. Um, but this is a major theme in Proverbs. In fact, of, of all of the, the verses that we've looked at or, or that, I've, that I've kind of accumulated on the subject of, of money wisdom, have uh, this one probably has the greatest number of them. Uh, we won't go over them all, of course, but uh, I want to talk about the value and effect of labor. The value and effect of labor. So let's pray. And then I'll have a particular verse I want to go to, so let's pray first, and then we'll kind of get into uh, our study here. Our Father, thank you for the chance to come together as the church of the living God, to meet together in one place, to see one another's face, to, uh, to praise you. Lord, help our praise today as we sing, as we hear the praises of your people. Lord, I pray our hearts would be stirred and warmed Toward, toward you and toward the truth and toward the things of God. Lord, take away, I pray, our apathy and our indifference. Lord, help us and revive us and renew us. Lord, even as we approach the Resurrection Sunday that's dedicated to remember uh, how that you rose from the dead, that we would have life anew, that we would be revived in our own hearts and in our own lives and our walks with you. Lord, would you please bless our study of Proverbs, and I pray especially that you would help your people through it, that you would help us to have just a a clear understanding of what your word says and apply these things in our own lives individually. In Jesus' name, amen. The value and effect of labor. Now, when you look at society... And you listen to the uh, to the talking heads. You listen. I know many of you, including myself, many of us, are not plugged in to uh, to a lot of the media and things that are that are that's that that is becoming more and more common. But I think it's important for us. Like you know, I'm talking about things like TikTok and things like that. Um, I don't. I, I'm not on TikTok. You know, I think it's kind of silly, but. It would, it would be silly for me to ignore the influence of something like that upon the world in which we live uh, because the people who live on TikTok in 15 or 20 years are going to be the people that are making decisions for all of us 
And be it for good or for ill, that's probably what's going to be happening. And so the information that they are being pumped, uh, that's being pumped into their, their minds via TikTok, not just that, but I just use that kind of as a stand-in for a lot of other uh, ways that we get information. You, you realize, so some of us, like when I was young, you know, I, I remember my, my, my parents, my grandparents, you know, they read the newspaper. We had a phone with a rotary dial, you know, and my grandparents did. And, you know, I, I know how to use all that. So I kind of, in my generation and those of around my age, grew into the Internet generation and all that. Many of you, many of you spent your, has spent the majority of your adult life in that period, Right. But what we have to understand is that we have to be aware of what's happening because the generation behind mine and behind most of yours, although there's a couple of exceptions, they, have, they are not like that. They get their information from a completely different source. And uh, as an example, as we talk about the value and effect of labor, I'm going somewhere with this, is there are a number of videos that are passed around the Internet where uh, 20-something-year-old college graduates are crying, some of them not college graduates, are literally crying into the camera to the internet that they have to work 40 hours a week in order to pay their bills. And they describe how difficult it is and like cry. And I, I pass around my family and, and uh, you know, and, and understand, you know, and a lot of that, a lot of it has to do with the economy and how inflation is and all that and how expensive things are. That's part of it. But part of it is just the fact that they're crying that they have to work for 40 whole hours a week. And, um, and it directly overlaps with what we're talking about today. Because in our society, and, and th- that what I'm describing is not, is not uncommon. The, this is a common thing. People complain about it, and, and a lot of younger people coming up, they are looking for fewer hours, easier work, remote work, and all that to preserve their free time and to increase their free time. That's, that is a primary consideration, a primary consideration. And I think there's a underneath that, and you can't blame these people entirely because, you know, there's a, you know, it really goes back to their parents and that kind of thing. But, um, but I think at the root of this is a problem in which labor itself has been devalued. There's no satisfaction in labor. In other words, people are taught that there's no satisfaction in labor. And, but there is. Labor itself has a certain, if you could say it like this, a certain morality. And you're going to see it in just a minute. Everywhere, everywhere in our society, especially in the, the, the younger levels of our society, and listen, we, none of us, not, and, and I'm kind of going into that older, you know, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of at the middle age, right? But there are people younger than me, and I know as we, as we age, we tend to look down on people that are younger than us, right? That is natural. But the reality is that whatever philosophy they're embracing is what is coming. It is absolutely what is coming. And uh, labor is no longer exalted as a good in and, in and of itself. People are looking for ways to get out of work as much as possible. And I know that's, that's, a, that's a universal generation problem. 
there's there's gen, there's people that have already passed off the scene who who had that problem as well. But just as a as a general rule. And here's the thing: there are people with with this issue with labor. Some people are even willing to forego the benefits of labor, like having money, buying a house, living independently of their parents. They're willing to say, you know what? That's not important to me. I want my free time. And so they trade, they consciously trade. They consciously trade the benefits of labor that we, that we, we value, you know, like having independence from your parents. They say, no, I don't want that. I, I'm willing to live off of them in some way so that I can maintain my level of free time. And I want to tell you something. This is sloth. It's laziness and nothing else. No matter how it's described, no matter how what excuse is made, turning down the financial and practical benefits of labor just so you don't have to work is immoral. It is wrong. It is wrong. It comes out of laziness. And I say that, and, and you know, I follow that up with, you know, some people, you know, they went to college for, you know, whatever, queer dance theory, as they say. That's, that's the, kind of the going thing, queer dance theory. And they got their bachelor's degree in, in the arts, and then they go answer phones for some, you know, multinational company. You know, somebody should have stepped in and said, hey, you might want to prepare yourself better than this. You know, there aren't any, any jobs here, <laughs> right? But you can't blame that all on them, you know? Their parents should have stepped in as well. So we can spread the blame around a little bit. Exodus 20 verse 9 says this, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. So that's normally used in context of keeping the Sabbath day, which we've talked about on Wednesday night in the past, but part of that commandment is the six days of labor. Now we live, thankfully, we live in a society where we actually get one extra day. But in a lot of societies, and Cambodia is one of them, having lived there, it was seven days a week. Like, I mean, people were slaves to their, to their bosses. And uh, so I, I'm thankful that we have, we have a couple of days that we can take, take off and we can go to church and we can rest. So, but that means all the other days you, you work, right? That's the, that's the idea. That's what Exodus 20 verse 9 says. John 9 verse 4 says this, I must, Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You know, normally the day is divided into two parts. You have the night and the day, right? The 24-hour period is divided into two parts, the night and the day, the time when the sun is out and the time when the sun is not out. And in a scriptural sense, the time when the sun is out is when you're working, and the time when the sun is not out is when you're not. So that means you show up for work at dawn, and you stop work at dusk, because you can't work anymore when it's dark. Now, we're not advocating necessarily for 12-hour days, but what we're saying is that's why we should take lightly when someone complains about having to work three hours after dawn and gets to stop work some you know, four hours before dusk. That leaves a lot of free time, right? And then, of course, we have lights and stuff. We don't have to use candles and torches and such, but so that helps. So th these are just scriptural principles that describe that this is, this is something God commends. 
And as our, as our society gets more detached from its scriptural moorings, the values of the scripture will also be degraded. And that's exactly what is happening. That's exactly what is happening. Furthermore, there's an assumption in our society, and this is also promoted by the media, that those who have abundance, speaking of money and wealth, have it as a result of their privilege or in some way it was bestowed upon them without their exertion. That is absolutely being taught in colleges, it's being taught in society that people that have means have it because, uh, not because they worked hard, but because of some, some innate benefit that they were born with. The Bible does not say that, although there are ex- examples of that. But usually those examples are not generally good, right? The sons of the kings who, you know, turn against God, and then you have a, a shepherd, David, who literally lived outside in the fields day and night, and he, he, beca- he becomes the king. You know, he demonstrates his faithfulness. You know, you have that dynamic as well. So I, I looked up an example before we get into the verses. I only want to look at two passages specifically today. <clears throat> so with this assumption that people who have means have it because of some privilege or whatever, I used an example of someone who is, who would you, everyone would agree has means, a neurosurgeon, a neurosurgeon. So a neurosurgeon makes an average neurosurgeon, I mean average, this is quite a span, but a neurosurgeon makes between $350,000 and $800,000 a year. All right, that's a lot of money. For everybody in here, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that's how much a neurosurgeon makes. And people will look at a neurosurgeon and they'll think, you know, and I'm talking about this is what is pumped into people's minds. Well, you know, there's some privilege, there's some, you know, he didn't earn that. But let's, let's, look, at, let's, let's look at this principle here. Consider the diligence required to get to the point where he makes between $350,000 and $800,000. After high school, he goes to college and gets a bachelor's degree, or she, as the case may be, gets a bachelor's degree in science, and that's four years. All right, so during that time, he's, he or she is not going to be working a regular full-time job because there's not enough time to do that and do a pre-med course in college. Okay, so he's going to be working at Starbucks or Walmart or, you know, wherever. After a bachelor's degree, he takes four years of medical school. Also, no salary because you're basically a student. You're just going to be having, you know, enough to live. And all this while the debt is piling up rapidly, right? Because there's few people on earth that can pay for college and medical school one after the other, right? So you have that. After four years of medical school, he goes into a six to seven year neurosurgery residency. And you think, wow, that's, that's a long time. Well, hold on. During these six or seven years, he will work 80 plus hours a week. That's not going in at six and leaving at six. That's going in at six and leaving at 10 p.m. 80 plus hours a week, and, some, and that's on the low end. You know what his pay is during that time? Between fifty-five dollars and $75,000 a year. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds not fun, right? You got to do that for six or seven years. And then optionally, after that, if you wanted to hone your skills, you could go into a one to two year neurosurgery fellowship where you could learn a pediatric neurosurgery or something like that. And then after that's completed, then you can go into actual practice where you start making the salary I mentioned at the beginning. But then even then, you got to, for the rest of your career, you have to have continuing medical education just to maintain your medical license. So from the time you graduate high school, you have spent 15 years learning a profession. One five, 15 years. You're now 30, let's see, 33 years old before you even start. And that doesn't include all the debt required from the college and the medical school. So here's what I want you to understand. This, this, this helps us to understand the principles and Proverbs that we're going to look at. This is not privilege. This is not something handed to a person on a silver platter. This is a lot. To, be, to become a neurosurgeon, as an example, is a lot of hard work. But there's a benefit at the end. So the question is, are, are we, just speaking generally here, are we willing to put the work in up front for the benefit? You see, that's the question. But again, it goes back to labor. If someone is afraid of labor, they're not going to go into neurosurgery. <laughs> they're not going to go into neurosurgery. Yes, sir. That's right. Labors, and not only that, even before the fall, that was after the fall, but even before the fall, God gave Adam work to do to dress and keep the garden. So this is, uh, the reason I bring that up is this is not privilege. This is not something that's handed, you know, somebody that makes between three hundred fifty dollars and $800,000 is not a silver platter handed to them. No, it came at the tail end of a whole lot of diligence and work. You know what? Now, none of us in here, probably most of us in here, will never make that much money. You know what? That's okay. That, our goal is not to make that much money. But you know what? We'll probably, some of you will probably put in similar amounts of work. You know what? That is just as honorable and righteous and upright, even if your salary doesn't, doesn't get that high. The issue is not the level of money. That was just an illustration so that, so that when, uh, when, when people attain a certain level, a stage of life and a certain you know, level of wealth or whatever, which is, of course, not our goal. That's just kind of something in passing. But when they do, you know, almost all the time it comes as a result of work. You think of the Elon Musks of the world. You think of the Steve Jobs of the world who were highly successful in the world's eyes. Elon Musk is an absolute workaholic. Like, that's all he does. Day and night, late into the night. Now, I'll talk about some of this in a minute, but that, there is a scriptural connection between labor and success in that way, material success. That's why I'm talking about it here. Look at Proverbs chapter 6 for our first set of verses. Proverbs 6. Verse number six. Uh, 
Verse number six says this, Proverbs six, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. It's funny, uh, when the Lord does a, 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 a vocative voice, when he directly states, you know, speaking directly to a person, there is no, the Lord's not like coddling our feelings and helping us feel better about it. He just says, look, you're a sluggard. I'm talking to you, you know, kind of thing. And he says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? I just think, look, if you go to bed at a normal time, normal time of day, I'm just, I'm just ranting here now. If you go to bed at a normal time, you should not be sleeping into 10 o'clock. Like, unless you're sick or something, ever. <laughs> sleep is good, but not that kind of sleep, okay? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So, this is where it intersects with our study. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Now, notice a few things about this. First of all, the word sluggard. It just means one who is naturally or habitually slow. You know, it comes, you, know you think of the word sluggish. So, even if they're working, they're doing it very slowly. So, just because you have a job doesn't mean you're not a sluggard. It just means that you do your work slowly. And your, your industry is far less than other people. And you're not doing right by your employer because you're, you're, you're working slower than you can work. To be slow, lazy, or idle. Disinclined for work or exertion of any kind. That's what the word sluggard means. So it's not just a refusal to work. It also deals with the way in which we work. Whether we do it heartily or slowly and lazily. But notice the ant in verse 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise, and be wise. So there's a wisdom. that This is not just, this is not, well, it's not my personality to get up early. I, listen, I used to say that, but I realized later, later on when I was, first got married and stuff, I realized where I was wrong. And where I was wrong is I was going to bed too daggum late. Some people need more sleep than others and aren't accustomed to, Five hours. I know some people that, that live off five hours of sleep. I could not do that. Like I would, my body would be like, all right, you're, you're off. Boop, and that would be it. I become useless. But what I've learned is over time, what I thought I needed is a little bit less than that because I don't get as much as I thought I needed. Sleep, that is. But so it's not just a matter of personality or or anything like that. There is a, a wisdom aspect to this that, it, that transcends that, where it applies to everybody, not just, you know, and I know in these kinds of things, everybody has their own personal reason that they don't, what, you know, they don't work as hard or whatever, you know. <clears throat> Notice, though, in verse 7, the ant has no one overseeing him when he works. There's nobody standing over him at his job making sure that he's working diligently, getting his work done, and not doing it sluggishly. The value of labor and the need for provision is enough to motivate the ant. 
he knows he's going to need the provision later. So that, that by itself, without somebody standing, watching him, looking at the security camera and having signs all over the, the warehouse that says, you're on camera, you know. <laughs> he's going to work either way. You know, as a, as, a, as a believer, is that not the way a believer should be? Lord, there is value in work. I'm serving you ultimately, but I'm also serving this person and I need to do my best to profit them, right? That is right. That is right. And that should be enough without somebody looking at us. That should be enough to motivate us to, ha- to exercise industry and to work efficiently and diligently. Because the ant, the, he doesn't have an overseer at, at all. Keep going. Verse 8 says, he provideth their meat in the summer. I've been saying he, 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 but the ant is actually a girl apparently. He provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in harvest. The ant does not procrastinate. And you're, you're looking at the, one of the biggest procrastinators in the room. I promise you. The ant is not a procrastinator. To procrastinate, here's, here's what you think about procrastination. It presumes upon our opportunity in the future. Thinking we'll have time later, but there's no guarantee that we will. And it also procrastination also usually comes so that we might indulge our laziness. That's just the reality of why we usually procrastinate something. Occasionally it comes because the job that's set before us that we need to do is something we really dislike. That's true as well sometimes, (laughs) right, Brother Ari? (laughs) Especially when he's working on a car, a key key for a car. But the lesson here in verse number 8 from the ant is this, work first. Play later, not the reverse. He says, How long wilt thou sleep? Verse 9, O sluggard, when wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? As I said, the problem here is not sleep, but the length of sleep. Sleeping when labor should be done. That is the idea of sleeping in the day, because daytime is for labor, right? So there is a connection in verse number 9 between, and this is not the only place, there's other places in Proverbs, many other places actually, where a connection is made between sleep and laziness. And then he says in verse number, the the sluggard here says in verse 10, yet a little sleep, a little slumber. It's always a little. We we minimize our vices, right? We minimize them so that it appears that we're not as lazy as everybody else knows that we are, we are perhaps. And listen, I, I say this, but I, I'm, I'm cognizant of this fact. I want to be careful that I handle this right. Some people, some people feel guilty for rest, right? And that isn't right either. That's not right either. There, the, as with most things, there is a ditch on both sides of the road. Rest is okay. Going on a vacation with your family and getting away is okay. Taking time off work and just chilling and reading a book or whatever you like to do is okay. It's okay. It's about excess. It's about being lazy, though. Uh, Even the Lord himself told the disciples to come away a while, get away from things. So I'm not trying to say that. Do not try not to misinterpret what I'm saying. But notice verse number 11, it says, So we have procrastination, we have sluggishness, we have excess sleep, and then this is where it comes into our study, labor, as it relates to money. All of these above things, 
results in one thing. In verse 11, want and poverty. This is the connection with money. So it's, yes, sir. Debatable. The young people just need the humility to say, to listen to the older people who are telling them that, right? And the older people need the humility to look at the younger people who are, you know, like he's describing and be thankful that they have the energy and the, the, the drive to do that. It's a whole lot better than even being lazy, that's for sure. Well, especially when you That's true. Like the raining mustard. Yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good proverb there, Brother Joseph. The Proverbs of Joseph. All right, look at Proverbs 24. <laughs> Proverbs 37. <laughs> that's funny. All right, we'll have to boogie here. Proverbs 34, verse 30. I did it. See? See? I did it. There is a curse. 24, verse 30. So I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof. And the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. So similar words there. But notice this. In these verses, slothfulness in verse number 30 is attached to being void of understanding. So again, it's not just personality. It's actually related to our morality and our spiritual walk as it relates to wisdom. Remember, wisdom is beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. It is a fault. It is not an amoral personality trait. Now, I have a question. Why is the vineyard and the field overgrown and the stone wall broken down in this man's property? Why is it? Well, even before we get that, yeah, that's true, but even before we get there, it's because he's not taking care of it, right? He's not taking care of it. And here's the thing. It's, it's, it comes down to verse 32, what, what uh, Brother Wallace said, 32 and 3. Then I saw and considered it well. I received instruction, yet a little sleep, 
a little slumber. So basically, his stuff's, tearing, his stuff's falling apart because he's not putting forth labor because he's lazy, okay? He's not putting the effort in to maintain his property, okay? So here's the, here's the lessons I want us to see from this. The state of a man's property indicates, the state of this man's property, rather, indicates that he does not value it. The fact that he does not care for it shows that he does not value it. A lack of maintenance is causing him to actually lose money. In other words, just like with your house, lack of care and maintenance on a piece of property causes its value to degrade, right? Same is true of a house, same is true, uh, same is true of anything, any, any kind of property. Your car is that way too. You can sell a car for more money if you take care of it versus if you don't. Listen to this verse, Proverbs 12, 27. The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. You know what that tells us? Because he worked for it, it has a greater value. In other words, there's a connection between labor and what we get from the labor and how we value that product. And if you value it, you're going to take care of it. The second thing we want us to see here is through lack of maintenance in this, in this case, the property is destroyed much faster than it would otherwise be destroyed. In other words, it costs him money and contributes to his poverty. So you go out and buy something, you don't maintain it, and so it degrades, it gets worse. And so what do you have to do? You have to replace it because you didn't maintain it. You have to replace it, which means you take your residual money and you replace it. And, you, and, and so you, you continue this pattern of not maintaining something. It gets broken. You replace it. Not maintaining it gets broken. You replace it. You're just having to spend money on the same thing over and over and over. And over time, all that residual wealth that you have from your work is now gone. Why? Maintenance. Why? Laziness. That's what it's from. So you can see how it's directly connected to the money we have. It's better to buy one good thing that you take care of than to buy 17 cheap things that you don't care anything about and don't maintain. Because the one good thing, quality thing, is going to last you like the washing machines back from the 70s and the 80s. They still run into this day. And the one I had didn't even last three years. <laughs> Just replaced it. Makes me mad. Proverbs 18, verse 9. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Because he's lazy, he doesn't maintain his stuff, he doesn't care, and so stuff is wasted, which actually diminishes his wealth, brings him to poverty. Eventually, he's going to get in such a place that he has to sell off his land and his field and his vineyard, with, along with his stone wall, he has no other money. And now you get to Proverbs 10.4. He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack, that means careless or negligent, hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. It says further, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. All of this comes of laziness, which really is about maintenance. So I want to tell you, the old timers that would buy something, like my grandfather, for instance, and they would use it 
forever. Like they bought one and it never broke because they took care of it and were careful with it. I'm going to tell you, they have something on, on my generation and the generation after me. They have something on us. That is actually objectively better. Better. The result of the poor state of this man's property is that it no longer bears any fruit to him. A vineyard, a field designed to bear fruit, wealth can't, thereby diminishing his wealth even more. It brings him nothing. So you can see the direct connections in Proverbs to laziness. It's not just whether you go to work, even if you go to work. By laziness, not maintaining things you have and not valuing it, so it diminishes. Now, the last thing I want to say, I know I'm a little long, but I think this is important. Apply these principles to your spiritual life. It is a shame to be a hard worker for money and indolent and and lazy in spiritual things. To be diligent in things related to your job, but to neglect spiritual matters, things of far greater importance. We put forth so much effort to make money and show ourselves diligent at at our job and we accumulate wealth and that's fine. But if in spiritual things we are slothful and lazy and poor, we're clothed with rags spiritually because we neglect those things that are far more important. What a sad state. So the Lord says, Proverbs 23, verse 4, labor not to be rich. We should labor to be, to follow the Lord and put that same effort into our spiritual life that we show the diligence in our, in our, uh, in our, in our carnal, secular life. Let's pray together.